You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Good morning. Good to see all of you. Uh, For those of you who may be new to Ridgecrest, my name is Wayne Barron. I'm the executive pastor here at Ridgecrest, and uh, Pastor Jeremy is on vacation with his family, getting some much-deserved R&R, and so... um, I know he misses being here when he's not able to be here, but, uh, but uh, it's good for him to get away with his family and uh, be praying for them, that they will be refreshed and that they'll have uh, safe travels coming back home when they come home. Um, Pastor Jeremy set me up pretty nicely last Sunday when he, uh, as he's teaching through the book of Judges, uh, as you may know, uh, and he mentioned kind of a, a connection in his mind and his heart between the Old Testament book of Judges, the way the Spirit of God Uh, moved and worked, and then the New Testament book of Acts, and that's where we're going to be this morning. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 10, and um, we're going to read a short passage from uh, from Acts 10, have prayer, and then we're going to jump into this message. So Acts chapter 10, if you'll turn there, stand with me for uh, in honor of reading God's Word, and verse 44 is where we're going to start, and we'll read down through verse 48. It says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the Word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for uh, the message of the songs we've, we've sung already. God, I do pray just as Nathan prayed, Lord, that uh, those would be more than words, that our songs would be more than filler time in a service, but those are prayers from our heart set to music, God. And I pray, Lord, that um, today you would do what you want to, God, that you would show us where you're at work, uh, what you are doing, and Lord, that we would draw near to you so that we can see that and be aware of it and, uh, and serve you well, God. We thank you most of all that all of that is done in the context of a relationship that you made possible through your son, Jesus, that today we're unworthy to praise you. We're unworthy to serve you or to do your work, uh, Lord, but you've invited us into that and given us worth in Jesus' name and in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we look at your word today, uh, teach us from your Holy Spirit, God, show us what you want us to see, work in each individual heart uh, as the need may be, and Lord, we pray that you would be honored and glorified in all of it, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Acts chapter 10, verse 44 through 48, is, uh, is sort of the climax of this story of Acts chapter 10, um, where God does something extremely mighty, extremely credible, incredible, and, and uh, is a turning point, really, in the history of the church. Up to this point, um, the church had primarily... Uh, been Jewish, uh, really exclusively Jewish up to this point. And so God is showing um, uh, something new in this chapter and doing something that's incredible. And so, uh, but before we get in there, I want to just sort of uh, tell you a quick story. I grew up, some of you may know this, I grew up in Houston, Texas in a big family. I have seven siblings, so there were eight of us kids, and uh, my mom and my dad and 
Um, as I was thinking about this sermon and preparing it, I was thinking about what is something that um, we are invited to do that we really probably shouldn't be <laughs> invited to do. And, um, and I thought about grocery shopping with my family when I was a little kid, okay? So you can imagine the spectacle of uh, eight kids and a mom in the grocery store. We went to this store called Randall's in Houston. It was the big grocery store. It was near our house. And so we would go, all of us, and this is especially true when we were little, uh, so we'd go in, uh, sometimes once a week, most of the time, twice a week, we would go in and my mom would buy two, two full baskets of groceries. And, um, and so she had all these kids, you know, and, and all of us that we were with her. And so basically what this looked like, so you kind of give it a, middle, a mental image, uh, in the front baskets where she put a lot of the groceries and then um, there would be one kid that would go in the little child seat that's right there by the handlebar. That was the worst place to be from the kid's perspective because you're too close to mom. She's got eyes on you all the time. You can't get away with anything. You're kind of locked in position and all of that. But there was sort of this progression where you would graduate from one place to the other. So once you proved yourself in the kid's seat, maybe got a little bit bigger, um, you would graduate to the kid's seat on the back cart, which was a little better because mom couldn't reach you and you had like a, this whole new perspective on what was happening. And granted, you were going backwards, but you could see a lot more than you could when your mom was standing right there. So then you would graduate from the kid's seat in the back into the back cart, all right? That was a dangerous place to be because there were always uh, three or four kids in there and groceries, and it was kind of like a cage of monkeys. It was a little bit scary to be in there with, uh, with all the kids. And then if you were, you know, the older, uh, the older of the kids that were there, the next place you would graduate, and this was pretty cool, is uh, you got to sit on the bottom of the grocery cart underneath the basket. You guys remember that? It, this, it's probably... It's probably too um, unsafe to do that kind of thing now, but um, used to, we would ride on the bottom of the, of the grocery cart underneath there, and so my mom had rules. You had to cross your legs and put your hands in your lap, and if you broke any of those rules, uh, you were in trouble. You, you were instantly exiled back to the monkey cage and um, didn't get to sit underneath anymore. Somebody else took your place. The, 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 the coveted place for the kids was to get to drive the back cart Okay, so that's, that was the goal, that was the aim. That was the ultimate where you graduated and you actually got to drive the back cart. Now we all know what happens when you give a kid a cart full of groceries behind their mother, right? It's inevitable, what happens? You go like on the cereal aisle or something where every kid loses their ever-loving mind and they get distracted, mom stops to grab a box of cereal and, and the next thing you know, Mom's on the ground looking up at you, and uh, you know that description of Jesus in Revelation where his eyes are like fire and his <laughs> tongue is like a two-edged sword. That's, I remember that look from uh, the time that I bashed into my mom's uh, heel. Her heels looked like they belong in a Civil War hospital too, by the way, because of the multiple times that happened. And so, anyway, <clears throat> there probably should never have been anybody driving the car behind my mom. And we thought as kids... We were, we were helping, you know. Uh, I think really from my mom's perspective, it was just a, a, another way to keep another kid close by without having to wrangle them or watch them because you knew they had a hold of the cart and they were going to run off to some other aisle or something like that. And so, but um, you felt like as a kid, when you got to drive the cart, you felt like you were invited to help in something that you really shouldn't have been helping with. It was something bigger than you. And so today what I want to talk to you about is I want to look at this example in Acts chapter 10 of the Apostle Peter. 
and how he, uh, God invites him to join him in something that he is doing. God does something special in Acts chapter 10, and Peter gets to be a part of it. Now, for all the things that we say about Peter and all the things, the stories we read about Peter in the Bible and all the times that he failed and, and stuck his foot in his mouth and those kinds of things, we have an awesome example in Peter in chapter 10 of Acts of what it means to be aware of what God's doing and then to join God in his work. And that's kind of the big idea of our sermon today. God is always working around us. He's always at work, and he is inviting every one of us to join him in what he is doing. I want you to kind of view this through a specific lens today, too, because we're in the middle of the summer, and this principle is true all the time, that, we, that God is always at work around us and he's inviting us to join him in his work. But sometimes I feel like in summer we get into a different sort of mindset. We get into a different mode. Uh, things are a little less routine than what we're used to. We go on vacation. We might um, go to the lake on uh, weekends and those kinds of things. We're away as a pastor. I used to worry about those things when I was younger, you know, the summer, the attendance at church is lower and uh, giving might be a little bit different or off or whatever. You don't see people for a long time and those kinds of things. And the longer that I've been in church ministry, summer kind of excites me because I understand that my job as a pastor is to be equipping uh, the body of Christ believers for the work of the ministry. And when we have a time like summer and people kind of scatter because they're just out more and they're away more and those kinds of things, if I'm doing my job uh, to invest in the people that God gives me, then those people are taking Jesus with them and maybe having opportunities they wouldn't have otherwise to, to, to join God somewhere where he is at work. And so as we are in summer and we hear this passage of scripture today, I want you to think about this uh, through that lens. And if, if you've got a vacation planned or just at, even at home in your neighborhood or at the pool or whatever, um, be aware of the opportunities that are around you. Look for those things. And we're going to see from Peter's example a couple of things that are really applicable uh, that will help us in that. That's what we're going to uh, take a look at here in a second. I want to really quickly overview Act chapter 10 because um, if you're not familiar with the story, then where I'm going to go may be a little confusing. So what happens in Acts chapter 10 is you have a man named Cornelius. He is Roman. Uh, which means he's a Gentile, he is uh, a soldier, in fact, he's a leader, a military leader, um, and, uh, uh, but the, the unique thing about Cornelius was that he was seeking after God. He is the definition of what we would refer to in today's vernacular in the church as a seeker. The Bible says that he prayed continuously. The Bible, the Bible says that he was doing alms deeds, which means he was giving money and he was doing acts of kindness toward people that were in need around him. And so he was seeking after God. He believed in God. The Bible says he was devout. And the translation of that word to what we would say today is the word is religious. He was a religious person who was trying to do good deeds. He was talking to God and trying to find God. He was seeking God, but he was still lost. And I want to just take an aside here before I go on and, and um, overview the rest of this chapter. There may be somebody here right now in this room that what I just said describes you. You're at church today, but I, I, I know that in a, a group this large, even though you're in church, there are people in a group this size who are religious, who are trying to find God but you don't have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You don't know the way to God or you've never taken that way to God. 
And I just want to encourage you today as we talk about joining God in his work, if that's your situation today, the only work that matters to you right now is to let God do his work in your life by turning your life over to him and receiving him as your savior. The Bible says that makes you his masterpiece. You are his work today. And I want to encourage you as we go through this message today, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, don't let another day pass without talking to somebody so that you can see and and learn and know how to take that step in your life and receive Christ as your Savior. It's very simple. I'm going to tell you how to do it uh, before we finish today, Um, but we would love to know that. We'd love to be a part of that with you if if you make that decision. And so from Peter's, uh, actually, let's go on with with the overview here. So Cornelius was a Roman. He was a centurion. He was seeking after God. He lived in Caesarea, and uh, one day, God sends an angel to, uh, to Cornelius in a dream while he's praying. The angel shows up and says, uh, there's a man in Joppa about 35 miles away. His name is Simon. He's staying at the house of a man who's a tanner. Uh, he's, you know, for all intents and purposes, Peter was not at his normal home. He wasn't in the normal place he lives. He was away, um, sort of on a getaway there in Joppa, staying with a, a man named Simon who was a tanner. He was staying in that house. Uh, God told through the angel, he told Cornelius to send some men down and, and retrieve Peter and bring him back because Peter had a message for him. And uh, so that happened about three o'clock in the afternoon for Cornelius when he was praying. The next day at noon, those men traveled all night. The next day at noon, Uh, Peter goes up on the roof at the house in Joppa, and he begins to pray. And he's having prayer with God, and um, Jesus shows him a vision. And basically, he's teaching Peter a lesson that, um, you know, he's showing him clean and unclean animals, and he's showing him that to God, there's no discrimination with the gospel between any peoples. He's trying to help Peter see that. Peter's um, sort of not getting the picture right at first, and he's kind of arguing back and forth with God and saying, I'm not going to eat anything that's unclean. And then just as soon as Peter finishes praying, there's a knock on the door of three guys who have come down to Joppa from Caesarea. You have to kind of see the timing of God in this. It's important because we serve a sovereign God who is at work all the time, who has a plan, and and he's inviting us to be a part of it. And when you look at the chapter uh, that we're looking at in Acts chapter 10, and you see how many things had to line up timing-wise just perfectly for this to happen, it's incredible to see, but we serve the same God who is still sovereign and who is still inviting you um, to join him in his work. So Peter goes with these uh, messengers that come to him, And uh, as he's going, he realizes what the vision that Jesus was showing him was about because he's now going to the house of a Roman soldier. Peter knows this is going to cause problems for him when it comes to his peers, when it comes to his own conscience, the things that he's wrestling with. He's, He's following God to do something that is new to him and unexpected. And so he goes to Cornelius's house. Cornelius, by faith, listen to this, this is amazing, no cell phones, no communication, Uh, Cornelius sends these servants away. He has to wait three days before they return because of the travel. And when they return, Cornelius is there with a house full of people that he's gathered to hear this message from Peter. That's pretty awesome. That shows you faith in Cornelius. And so, um, Peter preaches the gospel to these people with a very simple message, and everyone in the place receives Christ as their Savior. Two incredible things in this chapter that God does. Number one, the gospel goes to the Gentiles. This is new. And number two, I've never been in a situation where everybody in a place heard the gospel and every lost person accepted Christ as their Savior. 
I mean, this is incredible. And so Peter gets to be a part of this awesome thing that God does. And I want to just show you today three things. That we, we, there's a lot more in here, but I'm going to show you three things, three principles for joining God in his work from Peter's example that he gives to us. And the very first one is this. Peter was abiding daily in a relationship, a personal relationship with God. If you look at verse 9 in, in Acts chapter 10, we go back to that part of the story. We're not going to read all of it. I'll just pick up bits and pieces of it here to fill in the gaps. But uh, verse 9, it says, the next day, this is the, the day after God appeared to Cornelius, as they were on their journey and approaching the, cedar, uh, the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And so this was a routine for Peter. Peter was Jewish. The Jewish custom, uh, based on a psalm that David wrote, was to pray. A uh, Jewish custom was to pray morning, noon, and evening. There was a morning prayer time, a noon prayer time, and an evening prayer time. This is noon. The sixth hour is noon. So Peter is going up to spend time with God according to that set routine that he had. He made time for God to spend time with God. Do you think about what Peter has experienced at this point in his life and his ministry? I mean, by all intents and purposes, if we were to measure his ministry by today's standards, Peter's only been in the ministry for a few short years. The first sermon he preached, 3,000 people got saved. The second sermon he preached, 5,000 people got saved. He is healing people. He is preaching. I mean, you know, Peter could have just decided, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to coast. Look how awesome I am. Look at what God's doing in my ministry. But Peter knew and Peter understood. He watched Jesus. He watched Jesus make time to get away and get with God. Peter made time to get away and to be with Christ. He had a, a, a set time. Now listen, in our lives in the summer, a lot of times, I've already said this, but routine gets out of whack. I think about like vacation a lot of times for me. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be legalistic or say, you know, hey, you're on vacation, it's Sunday, you should be in church or whatever. I'm not, I'm not going to give you rules. Here's what I am going to say. As you are just out of sync for the summer, don't take a vacation from your time with God. You're, you're traveling somewhere. You're out in your neighborhood. Listen, if God is truly at work in people around you every day, there's people that may be one step away from receiving Christ, and God is crossing your path with them. We all, every day, are rubbing elbows with people who, in whom God is already working. How do I know? How do I know who those people are? How do I find them? Because I'm drawing near to the one who's drawing them. I'm drawing near to the one who knows them. And so I want to encourage you, as you're on vacation, I, I thought about this as I was preparing this sermon. I thought, you know, we've got a vacation planned pretty soon. If April and I went on vacation and we got there and I said, you know, hey, you know, vacation, honey, is about not working and marriage is work. So um, I'm going to go do my thing and you go do your thing. How, how well you think that's going to work out? You guys know my wife. <laughs> um, it doesn't work. And I think what happens, listen, with our relationship with God if it's, a, if it's a, 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 a thing that we check off a to-do list, we get in vacation and we don't want to check, we don't want to be checking our list, and so we just take a break. And what I want to encourage you to do, this is true for year-round, 
But through the lens of summer, what I want to encourage you to do is to abide in Christ. Understand your daily relationship with the Lord and time with him is not optional. It's not a suggestion. It's not an okay thing to do that's going to help you. It is life for you. You need it. You need to talk with the Lord. You need to hear from the Lord. And that's exactly what Peter does in this time that he spends with God. He prays in verse 9, we're told. God shows him this vision and speaks to Peter. And then Peter even wrestles with what God's saying and argues back. God's big enough for your wrestling. He's big enough for your questions. He loves it. He wants to hear from you. Listen to this psalm from David in Psalm 116, verse 1 and 2. David said, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The word inclined means to stretch out. Can you just picture God? The reason why those words are there is because God wants us to envision a God who is the, the creator of the universe who's stretching out to hear what you're saying to him because he wants to hear from you. The fact that we can pray and that God wants us to pray should blow us away every day. God wants to hear from us. Think about social media. Think about the world we live in and how badly everybody wants their idea and their voice to be heard. People are, are searching for a place where they can pour their guts out on some screen and God has just given us a wide open invitation. Come to me. Talk to me. I want to hear from you. And then he wants to talk to us as well and communicate to us. <clears throat> Abiding in Christ is about time. It's about setting aside a time. It's not about just setting aside a time and a routine, but it's about giving enough time to commune with God. And that's really what it is. It's about communing with God. And what you'll find, we'll get to our last point here in just a second, what you'll find is it creates a dependence on God in your life, like you have a dependence on air and food. You will notice it when it's gone from your life, okay? So abiding in Christ. Sometimes we might get in our own way. When it comes to joining God in his work, we might get in our own way when we care more about what we do for God than about our relationship with God. I also thought about this as I was preparing this last couple weeks, you know, when God uh, existed in eternity past, this is kind of a hard thing to wrap your mind around, but nothing else existed. God was totally satisfied. He was totally uh, self-sufficient. He didn't need anything else, but he wanted something. And so he created. He didn't want work. Work was a part of his creation. That's not what he desired. He didn't create his creation so that they could have work. He created us because he wants a relationship with us. And part of the way that we relate to him is by joining him in what he's doing. But he didn't create us to do stuff for him. He created us to have a relationship with him. So the relationship with God is the priority over anything that you're going to do for God. The second thing we see from Peter is that he aligned himself with the sovereign plan of God. That sounds really theological, and here's all it means. Here's what Peter did. He trusted what God said, and then he obeyed him. Peter's plan was not to go to Cornelius' house. That wasn't his plan. Peter's plan was not to take the, gospels, the gospel to the Gentiles. That wasn't his plan. 
His plan was to go to Joppa and have vacation. But he trusted what God told him, and then he obeyed what God told him to do. He aligned his life. He took his plan and aligned it to God's plan. I wrote this in my journal just recently from a different passage of Scripture um, that, um, that God was speaking to me through, and, and here's what I wrote. So much of my frustration in life comes at the intersection of God's plans and mine. There's so many things in my life. I have a plan. I have a plan for today. I have a plan for the vacation that I have coming up. I have a plan for this next year. I have all these plans. And when God, uh, God's plan intersects my plan, and it's different, and God wants me to adjust and follow him, it frustrates me, just like it does you. And so oftentimes, because I'm just running through life according to my plan, something happens, and it's a frustration, and I don't see it as an opportunity, which is what God means it as oftentimes. We don't see those opportunities. We might miss them. My Uncle Benny played a huge role in my spiritual life. I will forever be indebted to him. He's with the Lord now. Um, My Uncle Benny was a youth pastor when I was a kid growing up. I didn't have a church. I didn't go to church. My family didn't go to church, but he was a youth pastor, and his son was my age, Tim, and we were friends, and every summer, Uncle Benny would come and get me and take me to youth camp with their church every summer, and I remember this even as a little kid. So this is the crazy thing our church did. We were in Houston, Texas. They bought a camp in New Mexico outside of Albuquerque. We would drive a school bus from Houston to Albuquerque, New Mexico for camp, okay? We'd leave on Saturday morning, and we would go. And uh, I remember this one year when I was pretty small. We were headed up there. I'm maybe 10 or 11 years old. We're headed up there on this horrific bus that has no air conditioning. It's just breaking down like every hour. And uh, my uncle, I remember, he's getting off the bus and going out there and working on this and getting back on. He's just covered in grease. He's sweaty. He's out on the side of the highway in the desert trying to work. And we are just whining and complaining like nobody's business, as you, as you can well imagine. And so, but then I remember uh, at one point, we, we break down again and we stop over on the side of the road and a car pulls over there and a guy gets out. And he and my uncle start talking. They start working on the car together. And the guy says, hey, listen, if we can get this thing limping along, um, I'm going I'm to lead you to my gas station. I've got a gas station up here with a little shop. It was a Saturday. No place was open. We were in the middle of Texas Panhandle or something. And he says, I want you to, to follow me up there. We're going to get this thing fixed and get you guys to camp. So they go up. We go up there. They're working in the shop. And uh, they get into a conversation about this man's life. And my uncle leads him to the Lord. And this guy was radically saved and so excited. And he completely saw this as a God thing. He saw this as your bus broke down because I've been looking for somebody to answer my questions about God and you have the answers. That's how this man saw it. And I can remember my uncle got up on the bus and he just covered in grease, sweaty, exhausted, a bunch of whiny kids, and he had his arm around this man, and he introduced the man to to us and told us his name and said, this guy just uh, received Christ as a Savior and came into the kingdom, and he was so, I mean, just smile from ear to ear. All week long, he talked about that guy. He stayed in touch with him for years and years and years, and what all of us would have seen as a horrible, terrible adjustment to our plans, God was using to bring that man into his kingdom. And so, if we want to join God in his work, we need to walk closely with God. We need to abide in a relationship with him, and we need to be willing, by trusting him and obeying him, to align my plan 
That requires faith. It requires me letting go of control of everything. I'm terrible about that. But it requires me letting go of control so that I can align my life with what God is doing. Sometimes we get in our own way when we worry more about being in control than we do about trusting God. The last thing, and, I, and I'll go quickly through this, but Peter acknowledged the, the mighty power of God. I want you to look at verse 34 in chapter 10. <clears throat> this is when Peter finally arrives at Cornelius' house, and um, first thing that happens is Cornelius falls at his feet and begins to just honor Peter. Peter tells him to stand up and not to worship him, and, and, um, and then Peter begins to share what he feels like the Lord wants him to share. And this is where you see the light bulb click on for Peter and he understands what the vision God was giving him back on that rooftop meant. And so verse 34, it says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear." not to all the people, but to us who had been uh, chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness and sins through his name. Here's what Peter did. Listen, again, Peter could have, he could have gone and thought, well, you, you know, I'm, I'm pretty special. I'm a pretty good preacher. I've got a lot of talents and a lot of gifts. I'm going to go and I'm going to wow these people with a great sermon. I'm going to really show these people something. I'm going to turn on the charisma and try to, you know, convince these people to believe in Jesus. You know what Peter does? He gives 230 words. You can read that passage right there in 90 seconds. Peter talked about God sending his son, his son hanging on a tree, and then God raising him three days later. Peter put all of his dependence in this situation on the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He depended on the power of the gospel. A one and a half minute sermon. Don't you guys wish we would take a lesson from Peter? One and a half minutes, the simple plan of salvation and something happens that I've never witnessed. Everybody there gets saved. Look at the next verse. I love this in verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things. So there's a little bit of preacher in Peter too. The Holy Spirit had to interrupt him, right? While he was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. So Peter acknowledged the mighty power of God. He didn't depend on himself. How much are we doing in the name of God, in this church, in our lives individually, that is about us trying to draw a crowd, trying to manipulate people into believing what we believe, trying to persuade people, trying to get people to like us or like what we're doing, trying to market things? When here's the reality, if we will abide with Christ 
and we will align with what he's doing. He will bring the audience. He's the one who gives us the message. He's the one who's going to have the power. He's the one who will get the glory, ultimately. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 6, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. In Acts chapter 1, the, uh, Jesus told his disciples, including Peter, you go wait in Jerusalem. When the Holy Spirit shows up, he will empower you to witness. You go in the power of the Spirit. Listen, if you're a believer here today and you know the gospel, if you could write down your own story of how you came to Christ in 230 words and share it, God will use that message with his power to change people's lives. Do you believe that? You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to be in full-time ministry. Everywhere you go, that's the Great Commission. If you read the Great Commission the way it's literally written originally in the language, he says, as you are going, make disciples of every nation. As you go throughout your life, as you go to your job, as you go to your school, as you go on vacation, as you are going, you make disciples. And then he says, and I'm with you every step of the way. The power of the Holy Spirit of God, the power of the simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is what is going to change people's lives. I challenge you, church. I challenge you. I challenge you to literally do this. Write down the gospel. Write down your testimony and your experience with Jesus Christ in 250 words, something you can share in two minutes. Ask God to give you an opportunity to share it, and I challenge you to do that and not see something happen. There's already people around you in whom God is working, already, right now. And God's inviting you to join him in that. Align, or excuse me, abide in Christ, align your life with him, and acknowledge the power of God. The power's not in us, we don't have the ability to do it, but we know the way, we know him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. If you know Jesus, you know the way. So listen, I'm gonna give you just a quick application it's time to close. If you're here today and you're not a believer, I told you I would share this with you. Cornelius was searching. What Cornelius needed to do is acknowledge the fact that he needed a savior, that he was a sinner. He needed to believe that Jesus came and died and rose again for his sin and then he needed to confess Christ as his Lord. That's as simple as it is. We're gonna have an invitation here in just a second. And when we do that invitation, if you're here today and you don't know where you stand spiritually, where your eternity stands, you don't know if today you, you died, if you would go to heaven or hell, and you want to settle that issue, if you want to have a conversation, that's why we have an invitation. We're inviting you, God's inviting you to respond to the message of his word. I want to encourage you to come. You can simply, where you're sitting, acknowledge your sin, believe what Jesus did for you, and confess Christ as Lord, but we would love to know about it. You can do it right there where you're at. That's the step. That's the only work you need to be concerned with today. But for you as believers, those of you here in the church, small picture is this. What if, what if we, right here in the middle of the summer, decided everywhere I go, even though I'm out of routine and things are different, everywhere I go, I'm gonna keep abiding with Christ daily, I'm gonna look for where he's at work around me and line up with it, and then I'm gonna let the power of God do what it does through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's, that's, that's right now, that's small picture. Big picture is this, and then I'll close. Listen, big picture is this. We're chasing everything under the sun to try to make us feel fulfilled and happy in this life. 
including Christians, apart from an abiding relationship with Christ and being involved in what he's left you on this planet to do, you will never find fulfillment in that. You may find fulfillment temporarily in some things, but your purpose for being on this planet you will never realize apart from what we're talking about. That's the big picture. You wanna live a life that's fulfilled, that's purposeful, that's meaningful? Walk closely with the Lord and watch the amazing things that he wants to do through your life and around you. Stand with me if you would, with your heads bowed. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.